Hey, everybody. Ah! It's the AltaCast. It's high noon. Oh. It's Mutiny Radio. High noon. AltaCast. I'm your host, Pam Benjamin. I will be joined by LaToya, the Sheriff of Truth, very soon. She is said at the vet there must be dog issues I wish her the best with all of her animals Uh, may all animals live forever as they enrich our lives so beautifully I love my cat so much I also love this podcast you're listening to the AltaCast yay oh what are we going to talk about today well as always the Drug Policy Alliance and news from NARL Pro-Choice America We'll be getting to that. Some groundbreaking supervised consumption services bill passed by the California Assembly. That happened this week. And then we're going to get into, oh, I don't know, some pretty offensive um, liberal bashing by, I didn't, well, I guess it just runs in the family being a douchebag. Uh, but President Trump's son, uh, you know, uh, last night just said you know we're not even people that's the funny thing because he's he's talking about uh (laughs) he's talking about democrats and i'm a communist (laughs) so why clearly if democrats aren't real people uh you know we us commies out here socialist weirdos running around san francisco uh crazy stuff uh anyways it's disturbing listening to People talk sometimes. Your opinions make me angry. But I'm not the opinions of the Drug Policy Alliance. Go to them at drugpolicy.org. Check them out. They have a great website. And you can donate on their page. You can also go to the Mutiny Radio page. and You can donate there if you want. Wow! That would be great to help us continue bringing you free speech and wonderful things. Hey, the news that's important to me. What's important to me? Drugs. Uh, but specifically, harm reduction and, you know, not demonizing. I'm so worried that federally they're going to start demonizing marijuana again when, like, we finally, the, the one thing that keeps me all together. Please, just let me smoke pot all the time. I'm really productive, I promise. It's just that I'm an artist. I just want to express myself. Ugh, we just have to, we have to... Break it down. Uh, All right. Bipartisan support for AB 186 to prevent drug overdose deaths in California. Late Thursday evening, the California State Assembly became the first legislative body in the United States to pass a bill to permit safe consumption services that would allow drug users to use controlled substances under the supervision of trained staff to treat and prevent drug overdose and link people to drug treatment, housing, and other services. Yay! AB 186 by Susan Talamantes Eggman, a Democrat from Stockton, passed with bipartisan support 41 to 33. This historic bill, sponsored by drug treatment providers, HIV and hepatitis prevention groups, the Drug Policy Alliance and others, puts California at the forefront of the national momentum toward opening supervised consumption services in the U.S., The bill would allow local jurisdictions to choose to permit SCS uh, safe supervised consumption services and provide legal 
protections for the programs and participants. It creates a pilot program allowing a limited number of jurisdictions to operate the services and requires a report on the efficacy of services. Now it goes to the state Senate. Supervised consumption services are proven harm reduction services that are effective at linking people who use drugs to treatment and other services, reducing overdose deaths, preventing transmission of HIV and viral hepatitis, and reducing drug street-based drug use and syringe disposal. <laughs> syringe disposal. I just have to take a break just for a second to talk about syringe disposal. I go to the library at, in downtown San Francisco a lot because I love the library and I support the library and I really enjoy reading. And right now I'm getting a lot of cookbooks because cooking is important to me as well. This is off topic. My point is that syringes, I see people putting them in the grates in the street, in the sidewalk, the sidewalk grates, they drop their syringes. I've seen them do it. That's not safe. I mean, the rats are going to get hepatitis. We're going to have super sewer rats with hepatitis and AIDS. Gonna surf a Hippolades. Uh, I, I, I joke, but seriously, safe disposal sites for syringes are a big deal. And we don't want to, you know, the reason that people do things unsafely is that they're afraid of criminalization so you you know and and also hey please don't throw syringes away in garbage cans because you know people anyways it's just let's be safe about if you're gonna make a choice and that and you and you've made you're already on heroin <laughs> let's at least reduce the potential harm of you consuming this drug Okay, back to the, back to the, here we go. Uh, now goes to the state Senate. Uh, reducing street-based drug use and syringe disposal. Uh, research has shown that people who access these programs are more likely to enter treatment and more likely to stop using drugs. Support is growing rapidly across the country for these services in the face of dramatic increases in drug overdose deaths. Similar legislation has been introduced in Maryland, Massachusetts, and New York, and Seattle. Washington is in the process of opening sites. California is blazing a new trail toward policy on a drug addiction and abuse that treats it as the medical issue and the public health challenge that it is, and not as a moral failing. Oh, that's so great, said Assemblymember Susan Talamantes Eggman. We are in the midst of an epidemic. And this bill will grant us another tool to fight it, to provide better access to services like treatment and counseling, to better protect public health and safety, and to save lives. It's not a moral failing. I love that they're saying that. You know, the stigma on drug use is that there's something wrong with you, you know, and it's California is again leading the way, putting science and compassion ahead of fear and outdating stigma about drug use, said Laura Thomas, Deputy State Director of the Drug Policy Alliance. Assemblymember Eggman is a national leader for common sense approach to drug use that would help prevent thousands of Californians from losing loved ones to a drug overdose. Uh, Emily Huriot, Director of Federal and State Affairs for Project Inform and Chair of the California Hepatitis Alliance, said the Assembly's vote is a clear signal that California is ready to stop stigmatizing and criminalizing people who use drugs and start addressing the drug use as a public health issue. As an organization that works to end the HIV and hepatitis C epidemics, Project Inform is proud to co-sponsor AB 186 because we know SCS 
are a compassionate and scientifically proven strategy that will help us reach our goal. Harm Reduction Coalition applauds the leadership of the California State Assembly, which yesterday, last Thursday, voted to approve passage of AB 186, a bill that would authorize committees to establish safe consumption spaces for people who use drugs. As overdose rates show no signs of slowing across the country, we need to consider bold, evidence-based public health interventions, said Monique Tula, as executive director of the Harm Reduction Coalition, one of the co-sponsors of the bill. Allison Ellis, CEO of Tarzana Treatment Centers, a co-sponsor, described this as an important move signaling a recognition that these services can aid in the reduction of drug overdose deaths, reduce the spread of communicable diseases such as hepatitis C and HIV, and provide an opportunity for healthcare professionals to promote treatment and other health services to those suffering from the disease of addiction, he added. As the president and CEO of Tarzana Treatment Centers, I would like to extend our deep appreciation to the Assembly Member Eggman and the full assemblage assembly for the passage of AB 186. David Kahn, MD, DFASAM, and President-elect of the California Society of Addiction Medicine, praised the assembly action, saying, California's assembly members who voted for AB 186 voted to save lives and create a new innovative avenue into the treatment in the face of ignorance and fear. This bravery is reminiscent of the first needle exchange bills pioneered by former Congresswoman Diane Watson when she was chair of the California Senate Committee on Health. CAADPE, the California Association of Drug, Alcohol and Drug Program Executives, said, Approval of AB 186 recognizes opioid and heroin use as a community, public safety, and health issue. CAADPE has long advocated use of all available tools to create paths to health care and substance use treatment. Safe consumption spaces, a well-documented evidence-based strategy, will add to the toolkit by creating another path to treatment and overdose prevention. The negative health and social consequences of drug use remain staggeringly high in California, despite strong investment in recent in treatment and prevention. Drug overdose is now the leading cause of accidental death in California and nationwide, killing more people than motor vehicle accidents. Public drug injection is associated with higher rates of overdose. Uh, public drug injection is associated with higher rates of overdose, transmission of infectious diseases, including HIV and viral hepatitis, as well as a variety of nuisance and safety issues. The SCS in Vancouver uh, Insight reduced fatal drug overdoses in the area around it by a third. It also dramatically reduced public drug injection in the area and syringe litter. Man, I saw someone shooting up at the bus stop on 6th and Folsom, and it's like, whoa, right in front of everybody. Wow. And then they just throw. This bill, if passed, could be put into use soon. San Francisco just created a task force to review the issue and develop policy recommendations for the mayor and board of supervisors. The task force's report is expected in September. AB 186 is co-sponsored by California Association of Alcohol and Drug Program Executives, California Association of Addiction Medicine, DPA, Harm Reduction Coalition, Prom Project Inform, and Tarzana Treatment Center. Yay! We're groundbreaking. Yay, California. Safe injection sites. Yay. Yay. Okay, so good things happening. Uh, at least here in the bubble. Uh, here's, this is, uh, 
This is another good one. Thanks, California. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, legislation AB 1578 to protect Californians against federal attacks on lawful marijuana activity passes California State Assembly. California sends signal to Washington to stay out of state-sanctioned marijuana policies and laws. Sacramento, this is last week. The California State Assembly passed legislation that would prohibit state and local agencies from using resources to assist federal law enforcement authorities with marijuana enforcement against people in compliance with California state law. (gasps) The successful assembly floor vote means the bill has cleared its first house before today's deadline. Or this is last. This is the second. And now heads to the state Senate to be heard by the Senate Public Safety Committee. The legislation authored by Los Angeles Assembly Member Reggie Jones-Sawyer, AB 1578, will protect Californians who are operating lawfully under our state laws by providing that absent a court order, local and state agencies, including regulators and law enforcement, shall not assist in any federal enforcement against state-authorized medical cannabis or commercial or non non-commercial marijuana activity. In 2016, the voters of California overwhelmingly approved Proposition 64, the Adult Use of Marijuana Act, which provided that adults 21 and over could purchase and possess a limited amount of marijuana for personal use. However, President 45 and Attorney General Jeff Sessions, I got to come up with a cute name for him, have hinted at the forthcoming crackdown on the recreational use of marijuana in states that have approved adult personal use. President 45 made his intentions loud and clear in recent weeks when he turned rhetoric into policy with his signing statement to the Consolidated Appropriations Act, declaring the federal government's intention to prosecute and punish states and their residents for using medical marijuana, never mind its recreational use. Additionally, Attorney General Sessions just doubled down by re-declaring the war on drugs. He called for reinstating mandatory minimum sentences and prosecuting all drug-related charges to the fullest extent of the law. These policies roll back the gains California has made fighting mass incarceration and reducing the number of individuals in our overcrowded prisons and jails. Black and Latinx persons have the most to lose. They disproportionately compromise the majority of individuals arrested on marijuana charges. For example, despite similar rates of drug use and sales across racial lines from 2006 to 2015, black people in California were five times more likely than their white counterparts to receive marijuana felonies. We supported and passed Prop 64 because of decades of California law enforcement applying marijuana prohibition unequally across racial lines, said Alice Huffman, the president of the California-Hawaii NAACP. We do not want to see local enforcement going back down this path by supporting federal intervention into cannabis activity that is fully legal under state law. Approximately 92% of drug enforcement is done at the state and local level. Using state and local resources for the new administration's agenda undermines the will of California voters and the state's right to enact and enforce its own laws. California would be paying the feds to break its own laws. In response, Lieutenant Commander Diane Goldstein, retired, 
executive board member of the Law Enforcement Action Partnership, remarked, the passage of AB 1578 will reduce the harms of the gray and illicit market in our communities, ensuring public safety and health. Critically, this bill demonstrates to Californians that law enforcement understands and respects that police legitimacy requires public support. Law enforcement cannot build community trust if we're undermining the law. There's a real concern about giving the feds access to information about California residents, especially dangerous for medical cannabis patients and industry providers. Thousands of Californians could suddenly find themselves targeted, harassed, intimidated, or prosecuted by the federal government. 45 in sessions threat to California is real said Drug Policy Alliance State Director Lynn Lyman. It threatens to ensnare law-abiding residents in costly, financially and personally, legal battles and possible incarceration or deportation. It is dangerous and it is expensive, which means passing Assembly Bill 1578 is urgent. Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. My heart, my blood pressure went up a little bit thinking that, I mean, thousands of Californians could suddenly find themselves targeted, harassed, intimidated, or prosecuted by the federal government. Um, that's me as I, as I juice up my vape pen here in, in my, uh, inside the computer box. See if it's ready. Uh, hey, you know what's great about this particular vape pen? It has ACDC in it, which is, um, really high CBD. Why? Why do I need high CBD? Because I have so much anxiety about the fucking federal government coming in and taking away my weed. Ah! Yes. Okay. Oh, it works. Sorry. Didn't mean to get so heated there, but I'm scared. I'm fucking scared. They're First, they're coming after... We finally got the weed, and, and now I feel okay. And then now we're coming after my uterus, too. I thought that I boarded the ghost of Scalia, but no. No, they are still inside my uterus. We're going to get to Narl in a minute, but we're still on the Drug Policy Alliance news. This is uh, this goes hand in hand with the uh, consumption services bill that just passed. This is New York Times investigation finds drug overdose deaths reached all time high in 2016. All time high. Trump administration wants to cut treatment and escalate failed drug war drug policy alliance opioid action plan increase access to effective treatment expand harm reduction interventions prevent opioid misuse and minimize criminalization of people who use drugs yes go 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 gadget uh drug policy alliance here we go the ooh that's probably Latoya. Yes, she is on her way. The New York Times published on Monday an investigative report that found drug overdose deaths last year reached an all-time high, suggesting that the country's long-term opioid crisis continues to worsen and that younger age groups in the United States are experiencing record numbers of opioid overdoses than in the past. The Times looked at the preliminary overdose data for 2016 provided by hundreds of state and local health authorities, concluding... Drug overdoses are now the leading cause of death among Americans under 50, and all evidence suggests the problem has continued to worsen in 2017. The report estimates that more than 59,000 people died from drug overdose in 2016, an increase across 19% from 2015. 
The report does not elaborate on which drugs are behind the estimated jump in overdose deaths last year, nor does the report indicate which groups under 50 saw the largest increase in overdose deaths over prior years. Advocates have criticized President 45 and his administration for failing to deliver on his promise of increased access to opioid treatment, treatment, as well as for backing healthcare legislation in Congress and proposing major cuts to Medicaid that cumulatively would make devastating cuts to opioid treatment and mental health services for populations hit hard by the opioid crisis. But when it comes down to it, these rich guys, these one percenters, these uh, entire administration, and, and we're going to get to Eric Trump today, little rich child, uh, is that we're not people. Drug addicts, they're not people. Just let them die. Oh, I hope they get AIDS. I, I can't wait till they die of an overdose because they connect it with morality, saying that drugs have something to do with morality. I thought the KKK was cool till I found out that they were doing marijuana because we all know that's a sin. That's a sin. But, you know, taking Oxycontin is not because it's made by a pharmaceutical company. Show me your morality there. Is it morality if everyone's making money off it? So it's not moral and you're lining your pockets with our deaths. Yeah? Yeah, make the drugs that kill us. Make money off it. And then blame us. Ah. I say us because I feel like I'm part of the people. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. I get, I get heated about what's happening in the world right now. Uh, President 45 and his administration talk about expanding access to opioid treatment and ending the opioid crisis, but are taking very aggressive steps to do just the opposite. 45 continues to push for a health care bill that threatens opioid treatment access for millions of people who otherwise can't afford it. Trump's first budget cut to Congress puts more money behind law enforcement than treatment and actually proposes to cut treatment funding levels over what President Obama, I love you, I miss you, proposed in his last budget to Congress. It's really difficult to take seriously Trump's assurances that it's prioritizing a response to the opioid crisis with this track record, said Grant Smith, deputy director of national affairs with the Drug Policy Alliance. The Drug Policy Alliance recently released a plan to address increasing rates of opioid use and overdose. The plan marks a radical departure from the punitive responses that characterize much of U.S. drug policy and instead focuses on scientifically proven harm reduction and public health interventions that can improve treatment outcomes and reduce the negative consequences of opioid misuse, such as transmission of infectious diseases and overdose. The plan offers specific policy proposals that, if implemented, will increase access to effective treatment, expand harm reduction services, prevent further opioid misuse, reduce the role of criminalization and lessen incarceration, and decrease racial disparities. Some of the more than 20 innovative and cut, cutting-edge recommendations in the plan include increased access to effective drug treatment. There is wide consensus among experts that medical, uh, that medical best practice requires that an individual struggling with opioid and use disorder should have access to the full spectrum of behavioral, pharmacological, and psychosocial treatments. Two, lift barriers to medication-assisted treatment. Medication-assisted treatment, MAT, 
refers to the treatment of opioid use disorder through the prescription of medications such as methadone and buprenorphine, which block the effects of opioid use and prevent or relieve withdrawal symptoms and cravings. Scientific research has established that MAT is a cost-effective intervention that increases patient retention and treatment and decreases drug use, transmission of defective diseases, infectious diseases, and criminal activity. However, a number of known federal barriers prevent MAT from being as widely accessible as it should be. The federal government needs to increase access to methadone and make it available in more healthcare settings. Congress should also repeal a federal law that caps the number of opioid patients a physician can treat with buprenorphine at any one time. Establish safe drug consumption services. Yay! Safe drug consumption services, also known as supervised injection facilities, are controlled healthcare settings where people can consume drugs under clinical supervision and receive healthcare, counseling, and referrals to health and social services. Safe injection facilities have been rigorously studied and found to reduce the spread of infectious diseases, overdose deaths, and improperly discarded injection equipment, and to increase public order, access to drug treatment, and other services, and to save taxpayer money. California and Maryland and a number of municipalities have considered implementation of SIFs, and now we know that's happening with us because, yay, we passed it. Research heroin-assisted treatment. Heroin-assisted treatment is a form of medical care that involves a carefully regulated and controlled administration of pharmaceutical-grade heroin to people who have failed other drug treatments. Research has shown that heroin-assisted treatment can reduce drug use, overdose deaths, infectious diseases, and crime, while saving money and promoting social integration. Implement law enforcement-assisted diversion. Law enforcement officials frequently act as the first point of contact for drug-related offenses, but criminalization generally results in more harm than good. Law Enforcement Assisted Diversion, LEAD, is a pre-arrest or pre-booking diversion program that has been piloted and evaluated in Seattle, Washington. Instead of arresting and booking people for certain petty offenses, including low-level drug possession and sales, law enforcement immediately directs them to housing, treatment, and other services. Utilize drug checking as an overdose prevention strategy. To reduce the number of hospitalizations and fatal overdoses related to adulterated heroin or opioid products, DPA recommends that federal, state, and local officials investigate ways to make greater use of technology that tests opioids and other drugs for adulterants using GCMS analysis or other highly accurate methods. Adulterated substances lead to higher numbers of hospitalizations and fatal overdoses. Although some types of testing, such as reagent, reagent testing or metabolite strip, uh, metabolite strip testing, are available to the public, health authorities could improve the surveillance of fentanyl and other opioid analogs, and community programs that serve at-risk populations could better help people avoid adulterated drugs with the use of high-level technology. Opioid misuse and overdose are complex issues that require a multifaceted, comprehensive approach, said Lindsay LaSalle, senior staff attorney at the Drug Policy Alliance. In taking some or all of the steps delineated in the plan, local, state, and federal policymakers can act to ensure healthier, safer populations while avoiding st failed strategies that drive people away from care and treatment, exacerbate racial disparities, and waste scarce public resources. Ooh, crazy news today from 
I mean, good news, but still, um, kind of kind of crazy uh, news today from Drug Policy Alliance. So thank you, Drug Policy Alliance. Oh, the last one would be the the Drug Policy Alliance and ACLU of California sue the city of Fontana over an ordinance that conflicts with rights granted by California's marijuana legalization initiative. So I guess uh, because Prop 64 passed, they uh, filed a lawsuit against the city of Fontana because... Uh, it says the challenged ordinance places significant restraints on an adult's legal right to cultivate marijuana plants for their personal use at a private residence. The lawsuit seeks to invalidate the ordinance because it is preempted by Prop 64 and violates several state and constitutional rights. Wow. So, um, I'll just read it. This is interesting. On November 8, 2016, the people of California voted in favor of Prop 64, which allows adults 21 and older to possess up to one ounce of marijuana and cultivate up to six marijuana plants at their private residence away from public view. While Prop 64 allows local governments to regulate indoor personal cultivation, they cannot adopt unreasonable regulations or prohibit anyone from cultivating altogether. Among other problematic provisions, the ordinance requires residents to register with the city, undergo a criminal background check, open their home to city officials, and pay an expensive fee before obtaining a permit that would allow them to grow marijuana plants in their private home. By the city council's own admission, this process is meant to deter its residents from engaging in legal conduct under state law. This is very interesting. This ordinance ordinance is at odds with state law enacted by a majority of voters in California in San Bernardino County and the city of Fontana, said Joy Haviland, staff attorney at the Drug Policy Alliance. Local officials cannot limit or undo what is now legally allowed in California. Prop 64 allows adults to cultivate for their own use in their private homes without unnecessary intrusion from the state. The lawsuit was filed on behalf of Mike Harris, a retired Fontana resident, taxpayer, and homeowner since 1987, who seeks to cultivate marijuana at his residence. The ACLU of California supported Prop 64 in large because part of our longstanding policy is that possessing or cultivating marijuana for personal use should not be a crime, said Jess Ferris, director of criminal justice at the ACLU of Southern California. The Fontana ordinance and other similar ordinances around the state would criminalize the very conduct of Prop that Prop 64 legalized, particularly for people who are ineligible to obtain a permit because of their criminal convictions or their lack of funds to attain a permit or to dedicate an entire room of their house to cultivation. Prop 64 passed with 57% voter approval statewide, including a majority of voters in the city of Fontana, 53%, and the county of San Bernardino, 52%. The Drug Policy Alliance's affiliated organization, Drug Policy Action, served as co-chair of Prop 64 Campaign Committee. ACLU of California endorsed Prop 64, among other diverse statewide stakeholders, such as Lieutenant Governor Gavin Newsom and other lawmakers, the California Democratic Party, and the California Medical association so we all voted on it buddies and it's legal so you can't now make it illegal fontana it jerks uh all right thanks drug policy alliance really good news today um from them interesting and like good as in yay and good as in like good uh all right so now that the crimea river song is on i can 
feel sorry for myself. Um, hey, come see me at Cobb's this Sunday. I'm the only female on the bill. It's all dudes, and it's like a contest. So I'm, uh, you know, they, they call me Pam, clit the size of a baby dick Benjamin. And I'm just going to throw my little dick in the ring with those dudes. Waggle it around, try my best. With my feminist jokes. Ugh. And my abortion jokes. I mean, I'm going to see. I I do, I do want to do my 17-year late-term abortion joke, so... But it, you know, it has such a mixed response all the time. <laughs> I never know what's going to happen. I just have to have like faith in my material. Cry me a river. Faith in my material. I remember all that you said. You told me love was to You told me. All right. We're going to get to the gnarl news. Go to ProChoiceAmerica.org. Gnarl, ProChoice America. You can donate to them, too. You can also go to MutinyRadio.fm. You can donate to us. We got a little button there saying do that. Uh, so we'll start with this. Yesterday was 6-6-45 uh, nominee slash shady blogger John Bush's anti-choice work should concern the Senate. 45 and Mike Pence have chosen John Bush, a lawyer in Kentucky with a past that is likely to appeal the administration's most extreme base to fill a vacancy on the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals. His nomination should alarm anyone, especially members of the U.S. Senate, who cares about progressive values. Bush has already given us a glimpse into his thinking thanks to his extensive and shady blogging, which makes it clear that he's anti-woman, anti-LGBTQ, and anti-progressive, just like the administration that nominated him. You can read more about his blogging, and we'll, we'll, look at, we'll look at that in a sec. As if the views of Bush expressed in his blog posts weren't bad enough, the far-right agenda of the group he did legal work for reveals just how big a threat Bush and his allies would pose to a woman's right to access reproductive health care, including abortion, if he gets on the bench. Bush worked with the right-wing group Center for Constitutional Jurisprudence. John Bush wrote an amicus brief for the Center of Constitutional Jurisprudence. John K. Bush served as counsel for amicus curiae in a brief written for the Center of Constitutional Jurisprudence in the case of Susan B. Anthony List versus Dry House, filed 4-13-15, the Center for Constitutional Jurisprudence has a long record of pushing anti-choice policies. Center for Constitutional Jurisprudence listed the right to life as one of its categories of litigation and considered the right to life to be fundamental in our constitutional system. The Center for Constitutional Jurisprudence wrote, along with liberty and the pursuit of happiness, the right to life is fundamental both as a matter of our humanity and in our constitutional system, we are committed to the vindication of the right to life of all persons under the law, especially the most vulnerable. Center for Juris Constitutional Jurisprudence was lead counsel in a case petitioning the Supreme Court to reinstate Arizona's new law limiting abortion after 20 weeks. 
Center for Constitutional Jurisprudence and its founding director, John Eastman, served as lead counsel representing the Attorney General Horn and County Attorney Montgomery in their appeal of a Ninth Circuit ruling against the Arizona 20-week abortion ban. In the case, Horn versus Isaacson was denied reviewing by the Supreme Court on January 13, 2014. 20-week abortion bans leave women with fewer medical options when they need them most. 20-week abortion bans were devised by anti-choice politicians to limit our rights. These bans have passed multiple states, and anti-choice legislators have also tried to pass federal legislation that would ban abortion care after 20 weeks. These laws are blatantly unconstitutional. The Supreme Court has long held that a woman has the right to choose abortion care until the point of fetal viability. Under this standard, state may regulate, but not ban, abortion care before viability. 20-week abortion bans brazenly violate this standard. They deny medical care to women in the most desperate circumstances. For example, some women experience serious health threats later in pregnancy. Others discover heartbreaking fetal abnormalities that could not be detected earlier. Less than 2% of abortion procedures occur after 20 weeks. Most of these laws lack the necessary exceptions for when pregnancy is the result of rape or incest. Each of the current state bans allow only narrow exceptions for life of the woman and have inadequate ex exception to protect a woman's health. Many offer no exception at all for cases of fetal anomaly. The federal version includes no health exception at all. The Center for Constitutional Jurisprudence wrote an amicus brief in support of Texas in Whole Woman's Health versus Hellerstedt. The brief supported the Fifth Circuit Court ruling in favor of Texas law known as HB2. According to U.S. News & World Report, HB2 places specific requirements on abortion clinics and has forced many to shudder across the state. It requires doctors to have admitting privileges at a hospital no more than 30 miles away and sets clinic standards that are similar to those of surgical centers. Center for Constitutional Jurisprudence supported the Fifth Circuit's ruling that Texas regulations do not impose an undue burden, but that even if Texas laws create an undue burden for some women, the lack of an undue burden on the most means the law survives this facial challenge. Center for Constitutional Jurisprudence referred to the Texas restriction on abortion clinics as reasonable efforts to protect the health and safety of women seeking abortion. The U.S. Supreme Court disagreed, ruling the law unconstitutional. HB 2 in the law in front of the Supreme Court in Whole Woman's Health versus Hellerstedt put onerous, medically unnecessary, and unconstitutional restrictions on abortion clinics in the state. And this law forced many clinics in the state to shut down because they could not meet two medically unnecessary requirements. One, the ambulatory surgical center requirement needlessly required clinics to become mini hospitals at great expense and did nothing to improve patient care. Two, the admitting privilege requirement required doctors who provide abortion care have admitting privileges at a nearby hospital without requiring that hospitals grant or even consider such requests. In June 2016, the Supreme Court ruled five to three in Whole Women's Health versus Hellerstedt to strike down these two restrictions as unconstitutional because they placed an undue burden on a woman's right to abortion care. And so now they're nominating this anti-choice guy who worked for the jurisprudence Oh, so it's the same today. They're saying grassroots organizations say, hey, don't let this shady blogger guy uh, 
here's all the people that agree that Narl Pro-Choice America, the American Federation of Teachers, the Center for American Progress Action Fund, Daily Cost, and Citizens United, Every Voice, Move On, Stand Up America, Ultraviolet, and the Working Families Party today released a letter urging Democratic members of the Senate Judiciary Committee to prioritize and reject President 45's nomination of John Bush, a shady blogger and lawyer in Kentucky, to the United States Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit. The Trump administration chose Bush because of his anti-woman, anti-LGBTQ, anti-progressive values that will appeal to the most extreme part of their base. Bush has made his stance clear in a number of issues thanks to his extensive and synonymous blogging for a right-wing website and his work for a right-wing group with a long record of pushing anti-choice policies. This is from the letter. Bush lacks the temperament and judgment that are basic qualifications for a federal judge. He expressed offensive and hateful remarks on a blog while hiding under a pseudonym. This is hardly the approach of someone who sincerely wants to contribute to policy discussions. Let's see what he said. Mm. Uh, So this is on medium.com and they say we have to keep this bizarre unfit 45 nominee off our federal court Uh, we already know that president 45 holds our nation's courts in contempt and thinks anyone even judges who cannot pledge loyalty to him have no place in the administration yeah like he asked his he asked comey to be his homie and comey was like "Uh uh-uh and he's like you're fired uh even judges who cannot pledge loyal to him, have no place in his administration. Look no further than his tweet storms targeting judges who refuse to take his side. That's why Americans need to view each 45 pick for the courts with a healthy dose of skepticism and ask, will this person advance the constitutional rights of everyday Americans or just advance 45 and Mike Pence's worldview? Got to come up with a cute name for Mike Pence, everybody. After our opposition to Neil Gorsuch... Uh, now Pro-Choice America is looking forward to a vacancy on the United States Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit. The man 45 and Pence picked for the job is John Bush, a lawyer and in Kentucky with a past that likely pleases Trump and Pence's most extreme base, but who should alarm the vast majority of Americans who support legal abortion. Uh, John Bush was clearly chosen to fill a vacancy on the Sixth Circus because Sixth Circus Circuit because he will advance 45 and Pence's worldview. Once again, the 45 administration has shown it's not afraid to use every branch of government to attack our rights. The Sixth Circuit hears cases from states where reproductive rights and LGBTQ rights are already under attack. With Neil Gorsuch on the Supreme Court, it matters more than ever that we have judges at the federal level who will look out for, not fight against, our basic right. John Bush. In John Bush, the Trump administration has once again found the worst person for the job. Uh, Just check out his shady anonymous blog posts. This nomination continues Trump's record of giving people jobs they are uniquely unqualified to do. Noted healthcare opponent Tom Price, for example, is the leader of our nation's top health agency. And Jeff Sessions, who was once considered too racist by a Republican-controlled Senate to serve as federal judge, is now our attorney general. John Bush's extreme views and noted lack of judgment and impulse control are proof that he is unfit to be a federal judge. We know 
Bush is an impulsive man who isn't afraid to fire off his gut reaction to the news in the middle of the night, thanks to blog posts he published under the pseudonym on Elephants in the Bluegrass. The fact that he felt he had to hide behind a computer and use a fake name to fire off his opinions late into the evening is troubling in itself. But Bush's blog posts raised some serious questions about his ability to consider all sides of an argument before coming to a decision. John Bush will roll back progress for Americans. In his shady blog posts, Bush lays out where he stands on a serious issues he might consider if he gets, it to, gets to the bench. Spoiler alert, it's not with the majority of Americans. If he makes it to the bench, Bush will work with President 45 and Vice President Scary Pants to roll back scary, I mean, scary pants, scary pants, to roll back hard-won progress on issues for women's rights to campaign to campaign finance reform. With anti-road justices like Neil Gorsuch already on the bench of the Supreme Court, this could spell disaster for generations of Americans. Here's what he's been pushing from his blogs. His blogs show that Bush doesn't believe women should have the same right to control their bodies and futures as men. Bush thinks that abortion and slavery are the two greatest tragedies in our country. Bush opposes life-saving stem cell research, calling research into alternatives for embryonic stem cell research a recent liberal pet peeve, and even claiming that progress on this front would, of course, take away the false Democratic talking point that the sick are being denied new medical cures because the Republicans keep insisting on protecting embryonic life. Bush claimed programs that make it easier for women and children to afford groceries and protect themselves from violence are wasteful. Wow. Uh, Bush's blogging shows he doesn't think LGBTQ Americans deserve the same rights as everyone else and disparages people of color. Bush applauded Mike Huckabee for saying that he strongly disagrees with the idea of same-sex marriage. Bush criticized the State Department when it changed the mother and father fields on passport applications to mother or parent one and father or parent two. Bush wrote about the 2016 election that Democrats were just trying to substitute woman for black. Whoa! Bush is a staunch opponent of our nation's health care law wants to open the floodgates for outside monies in election and disparaged efforts to protect the environment. Bush declared the witch is dead when he thought the Affordable Care Act might not be enacted. Bush asks in one blog post, shouldn't more money, not less, be spent on political speech, given how much is spent by advertising and commercial speech? Bush criticized a campaign encouraging businesses and households to reduce energy consumption. Saving the world from climate change will just have to wait till we go to bed victorious after the U of L North Carolina game. Oh my God. And don't forget some of Bush's general conservative musings. He picked a fight with Ted Cruz during the 2016 election, saying Cruz has exercised remarkably poor judgment when he didn't endorse, endorse Trump. He applauded Senate applauded Senator Mitchell's, Mitch O'Connell's obstruction of Supreme Court nominee Merrick Garland because the decision of who will replace Justice Scalia is the top reason why the choice between Trump and Hillary is a no-brainer. He showcased a bizarre threat to Obama supporters with a lovely sign. Um, this is a picture. On 10-3, Obama supporters vandalized, trespassed, and stole my Pale and McCain sign violating my First Amendment right to free speech. Do it again and you'll find out what the Second Amendment is all about. Wow. 
John Bush's own blog posts are proof that we need Donald Trump and Mike Pence to see him as a nominee who will repress the narrow interests, who represent the narrow interests of a very extreme American politicians. But when the power, when he powers down the laptop, he's also promoting an anti-choice worldview. Bush wrote a briefing advocating for Virginia Military Institute to keep excluding women from admission. Bush wrote an amicus brief supporting the case of Susan B. Anthony List, one of the most anti-choice political organizations in the country. It's clear that John Bush is on the side of Trump and Pence, not the rights and freedoms of everyday Americans. We must represent we must tell our representatives that we won't stand for this brazen attempt to use our courts to enact dangerous worldview. Call your senator and tell them if they truly support women and our ability to access reproductive health care, including abortion, they will vote against John Bush. You guys, let me make choices for my own family planning, you know? And don't take away the... I mean, he already took away the... the contraception, contraceptive care money. And then you think that people aren't going to... The pull-out method doesn't work, folks. I mean, IUDs are great, but then they don't... Unless you're in a really awesome monogamous relationship, they don't prevent, prevent against STDs. So, you know? Anyways. So, hey, everybody. Don't let this shady douche make choices for our uteruses, our uteri. We're... When... Um, when the sheriff of truth arrives, we're, we were going to talk about, uh, Eric Trump because he was in the new, oh, she did. She just arrived. Yay. I was saying, we're going to talk about Eric Trump today. Oh my God. It's yeah. What a piece of shit he is. I mean, you know, okay, so one thing I get to say is because during the election process, Trump made such a big deal about the way women looked, and he always has. So this is what I'm going to say. Your son is ugly. How did this happen? How did it happen that, well, I mean, he's ugly. I mean, Trump is ugly because he's a fat, because he's a fat fuck. And we all know that fat people aren't good looking. Uh, because he's already said that he said that, you know, because he because he has the ability to look at other people and judge, uh, them. And judge them, but he can be a fat fuck himself. And fat people are beautiful. He's just gross. Oh, exactly. Just, I, yeah. All body types are wonderful. What I'm saying is, and women, that's the thing. Women's bodies are beautiful, and we're taught that if we have like this little, if we have like any kind of fat, any kind of fat. But we're curvy. Why do you want to fuck a bag of bones? Like I want the bone, okay. baby. Or a twelve year old boy. Or a twelve year old boy. What do you want? Okay, so but we know that he has been disparaging about women so what i'm going to say is come look at this picture of his ugly ass motherfucking spawn this is what that fuck face spawned this ugly look at the he can't smile he has big he is not good looking look at your military haircut you are ugly it's good he has lots of money because no chicks would ever fuck that ugly guy kind of looks like the serial killer in a horror movie. Absolutely. It Complete totally serial does. killer. You know what he said? Um, he was like on Sean Hannity. That, oh, yeah. No, uh, we're yeah. going to listen to that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we're going to listen to this. We're going to listen to this idiot. Oh, don't worry. I got it all. I'm. Uh, we're ready. We're all ready for oh, this today. I'm sorry. I was late. I got dog issues. Oh, My dog has to wear a maxi pad and diapers now. Oh. She's 16, so oh. she's getting, she's leaking. Leaking. 
Yeah, so I had to take care of. I know what that's like. Uh, it's near the end, but not as sooner than this. Oh this, my uh, God, we are at the end. <laughs> and we are at the. Well, let's this just is, die. Well, that's the thing. Is it? Is this makes me crazy. Okay, so I, I just want to die laughing. Right, that's the case. Well, but and when I said what I said earlier, which is which is crazy, I, I think it's crazy because I'm not even a Democrat. If Democrats are people, I'm a socialist. So do I not exist at all? I mean, this is Trump this is great stuff. Baseless Russia conspiracy theories every second of every day, and of course, Democrats on Capitol Hill desperately searching for any evidence of collusion. Oh, President Trump's sons, they. Oh, it just dumped out. I don't know why it doesn't want us to make fun of it. It keeps Aww. saying it's unexpectedly quitting because I think because they want us to watch an ad. Oh, wait. Let's see if I can Yeah, they want us too. to watch It Comes at Night, official trailer. Oh, come on. It's okay. I don't know. I mean, well, it's coming at night and it's called Scary, Our Scary Government and um, taking away our rights and... We're not seen as people. It, are, is that because Democrats are, are, are poor? Any evidence of collusion? Oh, President Trump's sons—they are now coming to his defense, and they're speaking out with Eric Trump now calling the Russia probe quote the greatest hoax of all time. Joining us now, the man himself, executive vice president of the Trump Organization, Eric Trump. How are you? Hey, Sean. How are you? Don't you wish you went to Washington so you could be dealing with this every second of every day? You know what? I, I've never seen hatred like this. I mean, to me, they're not even people. It's it's so so sad. I mean, morale. Reality's just gone. Um, morals have flown out the window. We deserve so much better as, than this as a You're country. Right. And, you know, it's so sad. You see the Democratic Party. They're imploding. They're imploding. They have no message. You see the head of the DNC, who is a total whack job. There's no leadership there. And so what do they do? They become obstructionists because they have no message. Okay, uh, my computer won't let it happen because it's so, it's so offensive, I think. Uh, well, we have... Uh, I, we got the beginning of it so we can we know that uh what, the, let's the, let's let I'll read some of his quotes the, because uh, the Democratic Party's employee yeah this is um I've never seen hatred like this the younger fuckface told Fox News Sean Hannity to me they're not even people it's so so sad morality's just gone morals have just flown out the window and yeah. we deserve so much better as a company yeah. country I almost I said company. company That's ha. so funny. Freudian slip. Okay, so our Man. morals have just flown out the window. What is the subtext on this? Abortions, <laughs> drugs, and abortions. I'm not kidding. They wait a minute. The, first of all, what did his daddy say about grabbing women by the pussy? Oh, but we're not people. Okay. okay. Not only are well, we I'm definitely not a person. No, no, no. Because if Democrats aren't people, that means that now some of the men aren't people. But the women are not. Women are not people. The, and let's not talk about colored people. Exactly. Exactly. It is so scary. I, by the way, um, do people forget about Barack Obama and how he was treated and how even the Republican Party treated him and all the hate mail and all the racial slurs that family got and no one's ever been berated like this before? Cry me a fucking river with your white problems. Yeah. With your privilege ass. Mm. I can't believe that. I, I just don't understand. They, they're so immoral. Why are white? Why are we imploding? You see, the Democratic Party they're imploding they're they're imploding because they became obstructionist because they have no message of their own oh you mean our message is helping the people what our message is very very <laughs> clear our, care. our message is very clear harm reduction woman's choice so in 2016 i, I did the drug news 2016 had a 19 percent increase in drug overdose deaths from 2015 
19th percent from 2015 to 2016. You don't see a fucking healthcare crisis. You don't see people die. But you know what? This is what I think. They say, there's heroin addicts. Let them die. That's what they want. That's, That's what why, they want. I mean, Jeff Sessions, he just, I mean, reversed everything. With just reversed the, everything. Yeah. So, I mean, instead of get help, let's lock them up or let's, and then let's keep on locking up those colored people. But, you know, but, you know, but the Democratic Party is just so wow. immoral. And because, I mean, and, but, and it's not immoral for him to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, but, so his comments came the same day that Forbes published a bombshell report Reese, that yes. alleges his charity, Stole the Eric Trump Foundation, it. paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to the Trump organization for use of its golf courses. He had previously told the magazine and donors that the costs were unnecessary because they were owned by the Trump family. It's basically them just paying themselves money, money, right. money. From it's a like, Cancer Research Foundation, I believe, right? Right, yeah. We get to use our assets 100% free of charge, but he didn't. <laughs> but according to IRS filings cited by Forbes, the Eric Trump Foundation spent 59 thousand eighty five dollars on its annual fundraiser held at the trump national golf club in wachester county in 2012 230 thousand and in 2013 242 thousand wow the magazine also alleged that donald j trump foundation apparently used the eric trump foundation to funnel a hundred thousand dollars in donations into its revenue of the trump organization we're talking about morality we're talking about morality but you get to steal money you get to steal money you get to not pay taxes you get to steal money from us and that has nothing to do with morality are you fucking kidding me i don't even like that word morality because it's just people have just pissed on it so much and it's the people that use that word who are the most immoral so yeah. it's just, it, I, I, you know, the Democratic Party. We told the way, them that money was going to kids and that for cha- care charities and cancer and stuff, but really we just used it on golf courses. <laughs> but we're so moral. Yeah. We're so we moral. Like money. But we lie. How come it's moral to lie? I thought that lying was immoral. I thought that I thought that, that was one of the things. Isn't that what has to do with morality? Truth, honesty? Truth. Isn't honesty part of morality? Yeah. Well, not to them. They think morality is just them, where it's just like, we don't like to be. And the, don't talk about my daddy. That's and he says, I got attacked today, Eric Trump said. I raised $16.3 million for the greatest hospital in the world in St. Jude, and I get attacked for it because you lied, because you, you lied. funneled money, because you did illegal things, because you funneled money away so that you didn't have to pay taxes, so your daddy didn't have to pay taxes. So the rest of us, so that you can use, oh, but tax the poor, but let's have a gas tax. Let's do something that doesn't affect the rich at all because they have such money that it doesn't matter but it affects every single American every single fucking day. Let's make a tax. Let's make another poor tax. Let's yeah. do that. That sounds great. And But you're going to funnel money. I mean, I raised money for people. But you also funneled money in. You're using... That's theft. Theft. That's you're, theft, You're man. stealing from the American people. And the thing is just like, don't come out here. You, you, you put your... <laughs> You put it. He put his foot in his mouth by even saying something. Just stay there and be ugly. Just stand stay, there and be ugly. Stand there and be ugly. Okay. So, Just oh don't God, so don't talk. And by the way, you want to talk about morality? Yeah. How much they hunt game? Oh, oh, oh yeah. Big game hunting. In big 2010, game. people for the ethical treatment of animals, PETA criticized Trump, a big game hunter, for an African hunting trip he took with Donald Trump Jr., his older brother. PETA condemned the pair after photos showed the brothers on an organized safari in Zimbabwe where they hunted animals. The director general of the Zimbabwe Parks and Wildlife Management Authority, V. Changdenga, issued an official response supporting the brothers, calling any allegations of illegality baseless and false. They probably paid him off. Yeah. Both brothers <laughs> defended their safari via Twitter 
just like their daddy, affirming their actions as hunters and longtime advocates of the outdoors. Donald Trump also addressed the controversy, saying on TMZ that he fully supported his son's actions. <laughs> he went on TMZ. That's because he tweets like a 12-year-old girl, and that's why he went on a celebrity news site <laughs> to support his sons in 2010. Uh, yeah, oh, I wish so I could see the pictures. That's morality right there, Yeah, too. that's just murder animals. It's fine. That's mur- I steal. I cheat. I murder animals for fun. Yeah, murder animals for but, fun. You know, let's let's call the moral police right here. Oh yeah, gosh, moral, I'm the moral police. police. Oh, and by the way, wasn't he the one that was discussing that his family had business ventures and money to do with Russia with us mm-hmm. someone in 2008 or 2009? There's a quote. Uh, he was on a golf course playing golf with some business person. Sure. Um, so the Russia, I mean. He just stand there and be ugly. Funnel charity funds to businesses. Yep, that's what he did. <laughs> uh, and that's and talk about morality. So get on, get on, get on the TV, and you talk about what we can say is okay. Here's the definition of morality. Eric Trump is going to help you out. Just to help you out. Okay, it's a noun. Uh, it's pronounced morality. 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 Uh, principles concerning the distinction between right and wrong or good and bad behavior. Good or bad. Synonyms. Ethics. Rights and wrongs. They don't know what that is. Ethicality. Oh, what's that word? A particular system of values and principles of conduct, especially held by one... Wait. Especially one held by a specified person or society. A bourgeois (laughs) morality. It's a particular system of values and principles of conduct. So I guess they've made up their own morality. Right. And so that's why they're calling it our morality. Because well, the real morality has to do with me making choices about my own vagina because sex is a moral issue, I guess. So let, let me try to get into the mind of this. Okay, so it's the morality has to do with sex and drugs. So fun things that are actually like real in, that affect people's lives they on a daily have basis. They can poor people can't. <laughs> right. Well, it just access to access to healthcare is somehow a moral, a moral issue. But it's my like my body. Let's, I'm not even gonna. I'm not even. It. I can't yeah, even. It's, it's too hard. It's, it's, it's too hard. You no, know, people have just changed their their idea of morality, which is not the prime definition of it. I mean, that's what the Republicans have been using this whole time, right? As this yeah. moral police. But look mm-hmm. at them. Everything they're mm-hmm. done is immoral. Duh. The extent to which an action is right or wrong. So, taking health care from people is, is wrong. wrong. Right. Yes, I agree. Stealing from a cancer fund yes, to charity is wrong. Well, and it's just it's just funneling it. It's just it's like it's well basically what it is it's called money laundering. Money, that's it's, which is which is I think let's look at money laundering I think is It's illegal. Right, I think it's a felony. <laughs> let's look it up. Money laundering. Should have Money laundering. Stand in the corner and been ugly. Money laundering. The concealment of the origins of illegally obtained money, typically by means of transfers involving foreign banks or legitimate businesses. Uh, there, there, that's what money laundering is. I want to know if it's a. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's a felony. You can go to prison. 
Right. It's uh, the process of transforming the profits of crime and corruption into ostensibly legitimate assets. In a number of legal and regulatory systems, however, the term money laundering has become conflated with other forms of financial and business crime and is sometimes used more generally to include the misuse of the financialist system, <laughs> involving things such as securities, digital currencies, credit cards, and traditional currency, including terrorism financing and evasion of international sanctions or evasion of tax. The most anti-money laundering laws open openly conflate money laundering, which is concerned with the source of funds with terrorism financing which is considered with the destination of funds aha uh-huh. uh, that's uh, why we can't that, that's why he doesn't want to show his tax return mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there we go goes back to ancient times uh, when money laundering is first seen with individuals hiding wealth from the state to avoid taxation or confiscation or a combination of both uh, in China Merchants around 2000 BCE would hide their wealth from rulers who would simply take it from them and banish them. In addition to hiding it, they would move it and invest it in businesses in the remote provinces or even outside China. China. So this happened years and years ago. Yeah, of course. It's because uh, they didn't want to pay taxes. Duh. <laughs> so. Mm, mm-hmm. And Trump twi- tweeted twittering. I- Twattering. Twattering around. It's so I sad. Mean, even look at the uh, the uh, Chito University. Mm. That's we didn't even talk. That is that is just straight crime. That's, That's just lying yeah, to people. And he still got a le- whatever. I let's go back to uh, what is what the uh, Eric Eric who Eric, says that we're Eric. not we're not really people. Yeah, we're not people. Uh, it, <laughs> he just glossed over it. But the thing is that it seemed that his when I was listening to him, he, it didn't seem like it was coming off the top of his head. It seemed like it was a memorized speech. So he wanted to say, he wanted to tell everybody how he feels about, uh, that we're not, we're not people. No. Well, he, he, he doesn't like his family getting attacked like this. So I, you know, I'm going to go on Sean Hannity because he's such a great provocateur. But the thing is that when you do shady things, usually you get called out for it. It's going to catch up to you because these are not smart people when it comes to being criminals. Well, the thing is they don't see what they're doing as criminal activity. I don't think that he sees using governmental funds to uh, have parties and stuff at Mar-a-Lago. Same thing. I don't think they see anything wrong. Well, my one foundation's paying my other foundation to do the stuff, or, you know? Or even when they have the advertisement up for Mar-a-Lago. Right. On, a on the State Department yeah, site. Yeah, on a government website. Yeah. That's illegal. You're not supposed to be... <laughs> the president's not supposed to have many, many companies. That's the whole point. They're supposed to be... Well, th- now this is... We'll, we'll go back to this because I, earlier I was talking about the sixth... sixth Supreme Court thing and the Sixth Circuit judge nomination uh, and then also our, our homie Comey came out and said homie Comey. homie Comey was like he sat him down and said hey man I need you to be extremely loyal and he's like I'm a bi- I work for a bipartisan non-biased yeah. group the FBI yeah, should FBI. not do and he was extremely loyal yeah he wants Promise everyone me your, your loyalty like you're the fucking godfather right but he's the president it's not it, there's supposed to be checks and balances we're not supposed to create a regime of people strictly loyal to this guy. We're supposed to be loyal to the people. You know what government's about? It's about the people. It's about protecting the people. It's not about protecting 
a lot of interests the, of the individuals. People, the people that are that oh, run the Senate and the House don't care. Corporations I mean, making exact, money. Thank you. And by the way, going back to what you were just talking about when him and Homie Comey, Uncle Tom, Jeff Sessions, and and um, Vice President, a homosexual hater, Pence. We were trying to come to, up with a cute to, name for him. <laughs> I know. I was thinking Scary Pants because it kind of sounds like scary Pence. Pants, scary Pants. Scary Pants. Scary Pants. He is kind of scary. Ugh, God. But yeah. he told them to leave the room. Now, when you have two, two higher up authority, you, author, not authorities, but I guess. In the administration, there's hierarchy. Hierarchy. Sure. Thank you. That's what I was yeah. looking for. And Comey is like in the middle, but he told them, you know, hey, Uncle Tom Sessions and Scary Pants, you got to leave. I want to talk to this guy. That That's usually a no-no. Sure. You don't do that. So right. that's already, that's the problem right there. But then now, uh, Uncle Tom, Jeff Ses- Sessions and him are in a beef right now. Um, and Jeff Sessions was about to put, um, resign. God, please resign. Oh my God, that would be amazing. Please resign. He was about to put his resignation and I'm like, oh my God, just do it. Seriously. Well, it's not worth it to you. This is, this is interesting. <laughs> we don't want uh, you. I, this is uh, new reports suggest Donald Trump asked DNI Coates to intervene with James Comey to stop yeah. the FBI's Russia probe. He's a, uh, he's going to be uh, testifying tomorrow. Lawrence too. O'Donnell. They're saying this is the new Watergate. Yeah. Uh, this is. Wow. Lawrence O'Donnell brings his extraordinary background in politics and entertainment with the last word with Lawrence O'Donnell. And he is. He's on point, actually. Wow. He, he goes back to the Nixon tapes of how Nixon got in trouble by just saying one word. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. It's like fascinating. I'm like, damn. Well, it's like we used to care. Um, it, it's the sad thing is it's just like. We, we used to care about our government and now we just go. Uh, uh, what? How much? What's happening with my life today? What's what's on the? I mean, how are we also disengaged with what's going on? I'm really. I mean, I'm glad that California has stepped up and said, "We're not going to take your federal. We're not going to give you our money so that your feds can come in and bust our Prop 64. We're not going to do it." And I'm like, and high five us. As well, we will work deals out with with uh, without you without the Paris Climate Agreement. We'll we'll do something and we'll probably work with people of the Paris Agreement rather than with the United States right. for uh, environmental. Oh my God, the sky is warming. Remember what our Mike Pence doesn't believe in. Uh, oh he doesn't believe in, our, our vice president doesn't believe that global warming is a thing. He doesn't believe in women. He calls his wife mother. <laughs> okay, he calls that from some fucking Norman Bates shit to me. Mother, no, don't. No. Absolutely. Scary Watch stuff. Psycho. Watch Psycho. Psycho. Uh, This is interesting from The Hill. Top Democrats reject impeachment push. push. Uh, Why, you weirdos? What are you you doing? I'm starting to change my mind on the impeachment stuff. Change your mind? What do you mean? Meaning the fact that it's it's better to have crazy get played out rather than have Mike Pence in. Well, but now this is my big question and no one's answered it yet. If impeachment happens, does his entire cabinet go with him? No, it's just him. Because that's lame. Because it doesn't matter then. <laughs> because he already put everybody in place. It would just nonsensical people being 
in jobs that they shouldn't be right, in. But, like, but but this conflict is, of interest kind of but, things. But, but here's another thing that did happen though. Uh, going back to the Watergate uh, thing, I do remember reading about Sp- Spiro Agnew, who was the vice president to Nixon at the time. He had to resign too. Uh-huh. So there could. And because of the collusion of with Spiro Agnew and Nixon. So there is a possibility that, yes. They'd have to wipe the whole slate clean and yeah. we'd have to bring Obama but, back. I say Obama for king. But that won't that won't work either because next in line is who? Jeff Sessions. No. The Attorney General. Who's, no. It's who's, how does it go? Speaker of the House. Oh. Uh-huh. Paul Nimnot Ryan. Wait, what? Yeah. I need to look, I need to look up this. It so, goes President, uh, Vice President, Speaker of the House. And then the majority speaker of the house, which is that tortoise, uh, what's his name? That fuckface, Mitch McConnell. Um, this is crazy to me. So, so we had to get rid of all of them, motherfuckers. <laughs> I said, if uh, what would happen? Oh, here, here's an actual. Okay. This is an interesting article. They even came up with this. What would happen if Donald Trump were impeached? All right. The latest whirlwind news about Trump, Comey, Russia has stoked the course for impeachment. Here's how it might happen. Uh, let's see where we, if we can go through. Around midday on Monday, Congressman Al Green, a Democrat for Texas, held a press conference to call for the impeachment of Donald Trump. The firing of FBI Director James Comey, Green said, was an obstruction of justice falling clearly into the basket of high crimes and misdemeanors prescribed in the Constitution as grounds for impeachment. Interesting, from Texas. Green should have waited a day because by the time the sun went down on Tuesday, advocates for Trump's impeachment had a lot more to work with. This is from a, a couple a month ago, too, so this yeah. is a thing. Um, Blah, 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 blah. Tuesday, Trump asked former FBI James Comey to drop an investigation into a former national security advisor, Michael Flynn. I hope you can see your way clear to letting this go, to letting Flynn go, Trump said to Comey, according to Comey's notes on the meeting. He's a good guy. I hope you can let this go. While the White House denies... That's crazy because all all Nixon goes, "Uh uh-huh, and he's like, this is basically him coercing him into letting go of a... Right. The White House denied the report, which was subsequently confirmed by numerous media outlets. Comey broke the news before Washington had a chance to catch its breath from the shocking revelation on m- late Monday when he was, the impeachment was called. Uh, Trump divulged highly classified material to Russian diplomats in an Oval Office meeting last week. Material so sensitive that Homeland Security officials scrambled to place calls to U.S. intelligence agencies afterward to warn them that the information had leaked via the president's mouth to Moscow. Trump told Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov and Ambassador Sergei Kislag about spying by an unnamed U.S. partner that had revealed an alleged Islamic State plot involving laptop computers and airplanes. Um, okay, so we already know he's throwing around classified information. Blah 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 blah. I just meetings with the Russians. He had the, the meeting House with the Russians and the only Russian press, which is already a sign right there. Uh, who's been impeached before? Bill Clinton. And Bill Andrew was not Johnson. Uh, Bill Clinton was not impeached. It says that, but it says who has been impeached before. They say two presidents: Bill Clinton '98 and Andrew Johnson '68. Bill Clinton 68. was not impeached. Uh, articles of impeachment were passed against Richard Nixon, but he resigned, so yes. he was not impeached. Impeachment does not mean expulsion from office under the Constitution. Impeachment happens if the House of Representatives, from a majority, approves the articles of impeachment previously approved by the committee. The impeachment then goes to the Senate, where a two-thirds majority is required to convict the president. 
who would be removed from office. Both Johnson and Clinton were impeached in the House, but then acquitted in the Senate and remained in office. Okay, can I can yeah, I yeah, yeah. can I go back to the Bill Clinton thing? Because I'm yeah. tired of the media saying Bill Clinton was impeached. No, he fucking wasn't. They, yeah, he, he was. They, they, he, they passed it in the House, but not the Senate. At the Senate, right. he was president from 1993 to 2001. He was not fucking impeached. Exactly. Uh, Sorry. No, it's fine. Absolutely. Angry. It's like if we're, it wasn't that long ago. Let's get our facts right, okay? Might Trump resign before he's impeached if there's a smoking gun as Nixon did? What kind of mood does Pence seem in? Is he implicated? In the scenario of the Pence succession, it would be up to the current vice president to pardon Trump or not. Maybe Trump would be more likely to get out of the way and avoid all or some of the impeachment proceedings. It's a truly hypothetical scenario. If Trump felt reassured that Pence... upon acceding to power would pardon him it is so scary would pence go down with him not likely there's a school of thought that says the key reason the republican congressional majority would assent to trump impeachment is that then then they would get the president they really want pence Mm -hmm. the closest historical precedent to a double whammy of this kind is a resignation in a bribery scandal of nixon's vice president spiro agnew in 73 a year before nixon went down but the alleged crimes were also unrelated oh whoops oh my gosh I mean, it's just scary because I, I thought that if we get rid of him, then everything goes, goes but no. no, 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 it doesn't. Um, but no. after the inevitable impeachment, who will become president? That's coming from the UK. That would be my, they're saying it's inevitable. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, it wouldn't get better. <laughs> right. It's. It's very scary. I, I'm just, I'm wondering, I want to see the whole list of like that one and the other and blah, blah, blah. Because it's, it'd be great to see a list with the names of the people who are attributed to them, you know? Like how scary it is. Like how, like exactly. I, maybe I should say don't, no, no impeachment because that's so scary. It, it, <laughs> right? What could actually happen? Uh of who I'm going to say line of who becomes president see if that helps us out okay so here it is okay article 2 uh, section 1 um, alright so article 2 section 1 oh here we go oh, you got it vice president is number 1 Mike Pence Republican then speaker of the house of representatives which is Paul Ryan oh god <laughs> then president Pro temporary of the Senate, which is Orrin Hatch, oh, Republican, Orrin Hatch. and then Secretary of State Rex Tillerson, Republican. So oh. no matter what happens, we're <laughs> fucked. <laughs> it just gets worse and worse. It just gets worse. Sinking more and more in a hole. Right. So scarier and scarier. So this is why I'm kind of like, uh, I don't know. I don't. Uh, Maybe we shouldn't. I know this is. It's very scary because. I, I mean, Mike Pence. And, <laughs> I mean, the fact of the matter is, I'll give Pence this. He, I'm sure he 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 doesn't he doesn't here's know what the, Twitter is. Here's the full line of succession. This is interesting. So here's here's how it go: Vice President Mike Pence, then Speaker of the House Paul Ryan, Ugh. then Senate President Pro Temporary Orrin Hatch, Ugh. then Secretary of State Rex Tillerson, Evil. then Secretary of the Treasury Stephen Nuchin. Oh, then God Secretary of Defense James Mattis, then Attorney General Jeff Sessions. Oh Lord, slave he's master. He's seven. He's number seven. Oh, he's slave master. Secretary of the Interior Ryan Zink, Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue. Jesus. Wow. Secretary of Commerce Wilbur Ross, uh. Secretary of Labor Alexander Acosta, 
Secretary of Health and Human Services, Tom Price. Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, Ben, ben Carson. Carson. Ben Carson's 13. 7 and 13 are what I'd be worried about. Jeff Sessions and Ben Carson. 14, Secretary of Transportation, Elaine Chow. 15, Secretary of Energy, Rick Perry. Oh, God. 16, Secretary of Education, Betsy DeVos. She's in line. So if they all go down in a plane crash. Yeah, right. Seven t- this- they can't, I mean, we, that, wouldn't that be fun? Let's, let's like <laughs> charter a plane. <laughs> Secretary of Veteran Affairs, David Shulkin. And the last would be Secretary of Homeland Security, John Kelly. The only caveat here is Secretary of Transportation, Elaine Chow, is ineligible because she was born in Taipei. Yeah. And she's not a U.S. citizen. I believe that uh, might be Mitch McConnell's wife. Asian lady. What? Yeah, he's been an Asian lady, believe it or not. <laughs> well, she was born in Taipei and she's uh You know go. She's a woman in a in an immigrant. Yeah. So that's that's nice. And she works for that party. Good good for her. Yeah. What well, a sellout. Yeah. How do you say How do you auntie, say sell out in Taipei? Yeah. <laughs> uh, how do you how can I say a, an auntie Toma? Uh, yeah, Toma, right. Auntie you know. <laughs> well, it's this is very scary that um, Jeff Sessions is seventh, uh, but Paul Ryan second. That's that's the scariest. That's right there. Cause, I mean, he's the one that came out with the health care plan. Mm. I mean, mm. this is like it, it just gets worse. We okay. We, yes, I hate. I loathe the Cheeto. I don't like him. But the the, the difference between Cheeto and the rest of these. Other people <laughs> is the fact of the matter. He is—he's such a nut job. He's so batshit crazy. I—I just—just just let him be batshit crazy, right? Because these these guys at least have a little bit of intelligence. Unfortunately, I have to say, they lack empathy and everything else. But they can read and spell. <laughs> Okay, that's how low our bar of democracy has come to here. In there is America. no democracy. Yeah. Like, well, at least they can spell, huh? <laughs> I, not Betsy DeVos, that. Oh, uh, yeah, not yeah, to, I mean, right. I don't yeah. think she can spell. I'm going to put into the computer, see what they say. What has democracy come to? Because that's that's a nice... Uh, see what's happened. I mean, I we're, we're, we're screwed. Yeah. I said yo instead of two. Uh, but this is what, you know, the Democrats got to get themselves going. Dude, 2018 is just around the corner. But we're not people, so it doesn't matter. We have yeah. no, and, and our and our people. leader is a whack job. Yeah. Our leader is a whack job, and we have no, uh, we have no message. Yeah, we have I think no we me- have a pretty clear fucking message. I think we do, too. What's their message, though? What's Well, their message is money. Make, well, I mean, we no, know what their message is. What what does make America great again really mean? Like a chicken in every pot. <laughs> that was a that was that would be great. I mean, you got to be a little bit thorough for me to understand what America make America great again means. How about instead of a chicken in every pot, just more pot with your chicken? Yeah, or like ecstasy. That's how you make America great again. Well, they're really yeah. they're really br- ramping up the drug war. They're not kidding, and they really don't like marijuana. Which is insane to me, but it isn't because it's just they can't make any money off it. So they, why would they want people? But you can to, look at this. Well, no, they can, but they certainly don't want us growing our six plants at home and having our ounce. They don't. They don't want us to be self-sustaining with our own medicine. They just don't want this is it. Why? 
Jeff Sessions was one step closer to resigning yesterday. I'm like, please resign. Oh my God. Please. That I just, would be. Like the domino effect just happened. This was the 1928 presidential campaign slogan. It was a chicken in every pot and a car in every garage by Herbert Hoover. Herbert Hoover. Claiming that everyone will be pros- prosperous under a Hoover presidency. <laughs> But and and that was what right before the I know crash. the crash. I know. I'm right? Sorry, that's just. <laughs> it's it is kind of funny. It is funny. It's sad, but it's funny. A chicken in every pot. A chicken in every part, and a car in every garage. Then what happens? The depression. Yeah, and it's. <laughs> I mean, we're we're screwed. But we could have another. We could have another depression. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um. <laughs> so. Well, there was a f- the following statement in October 29th's New Yorker article came under the title "Why the GOP candidates don't do substance." Did any of the candidates detail how they would pay for their huge tax giveaways? Of course not. Relying on the discredited arguments of supply-side economics, few of them did say reductions in tax rates would produce a much higher rate of economic growth, which would boost tax revenues. It was left to John Cash. Who is, seek, who is seeking to position himself as the voice of sanity in the asylum, asylum to state the obvious. You know, these plans would put us in trillions and trillions of dollars in debt. Why don't we just give a chicken in every pot while we're coming up with these fantasy tax schemes? Is that John oh, Kasich, the governor of Ohio? Right. Uh, yeah. So what he's they're criticizing are the tax giveaways and, and, yeah. and stuff with... Uh, Anyways, that wasn't. It was under English language, and you said that didn't that didn't help us. But that it was it, it was in the Hoover Hoover. Uh, but a chicken in every pot and a car in every garage. But apparently, the candidate never said it. It appeared in newspaper ads bought by Republican supporters. That's funny. A chicken in every pot, and every man's a king. Yeah. Uh, anyways. Yeah. <laughs> well. <laughs> and okay, so and it's interesting because in China, they. Uh, old Chinese ladies, they would tell you how their year was going by how many chicken year it was. So they'd be like, oh, it was a 12 chicken year. And that means like it was a great year because they had one chicken a month, you know? And that's like, yeah, great. Chicken, yeah, because you can eat. You'd be like, oh, a 12 chicken year. But sometimes an old grandma would say, oh, it was a two chicken year. Oh, that was a difficult year. Because like how many chickens you ate depended on, because usually you'd keep your chickens and they give you eggs. Right. And you just eat them once there. Not you can't. Two chicken year, you're starving. Yeah, you're pretty much starving. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, we're all gonna be starving. I'm so I'm uh-huh. I'm concerned about the cuts to um, Medicaid and, and food stamps and stuff like that because I I use those services, and I actually applied for this thing that I saw on the bus, and it's this chives program, and it's being run by Stanford, and they they're giving people like twenty dollar food vouchers a month. Um, to see what their food choices are and stuff. And I'm going to go to this meeting on the 19th and check it out because oh, nice. I totally, I can do it. But I'm worried that I, if I do it, they'll take money away from my food stamps because it certainly is not going to help me. Like I only get 127 a month in food stamps. Boy, do I need another 20 bucks. You know, that makes it 147. That's yeah. amazing. But if they, if I get the voucher and then they take $20 off my food stamps. So it's going to be the main question I'm going to ask them on that thing on Monday. That's an important question. Is this going to, is this going to affect my food stamps? Because your food stamps already got cut. Right. <laughs> and it was once, was it once I used to have, I used to have 197. Shit. How I, long ago? Uh, not that long ago. Like 
four years ago. And then it dropped. And then it dropped last to year, last year. It dropped again. Correct? Yeah, yeah. Because then I was at one sixty eight for a while, and then they dropped it to one forty seven, and now they dropped it to one twenty seven. So now my income hasn't changed whatsoever. I'm just getting less money. Right, and now with their a lot of programs getting cut, like Snap and what have you. Exactly. And so I'm gonna see I what happens. I think that is a great question to ask. Because of the, you want to add, not take away. Yeah, I know. I need more. Not, but that's the thing: is if they give me, if they, if I get in this program, I'm gonna. Because if they're gonna take it away, that makes no sense for me. Like, why would why? I go through the business Absolutely. of answering their questions and doing stuff when I, you know? And the thing is, just like 140. Uh, okay, if you're a smart shopper, you can totally possibly do 147 dollars. I, would I ran three. out of money last month. I wasn't able to eat every time I wanted to eat because I didn't have money on my Well, on that's my with you only having $127 exactly, a yeah. month. There is no way, honestly, you can ha- survive on that a month. Oh, listen to this. Trump wants to start charging stores to accept food stamps. <laughs> I know. Latoya's choking real quickly. This what? just came out six hours ago. Wait, Trump wants to start charging stores to accept food stamp. Donald Trump wants to charge retailers a fee for accepting food stamps as payment from the poor. What? The food stamp fee would be reassessed every five years. Budget office project predicts $2.4 billion in new revenue from the fee, which is seen as hurting independent grocers more than big chains. False. Separately, the Trump administration is proposing $191 billion in tax cuts over the next decade to the, rich. To the food stamp program. That's all going to the rich. That's insane. That's ridiculous. The White House proposal to overhaul the U.S. food stamp program and the deep cuts it would make to benefits for the poorest households has sparked public outrage on both sides of the aisle. But there's another change tucked into the proposal that businesses say caught them off guard and could wind up costing them more than $2 billion. That provision is a new fee that the White House wants to charge retailers that accept food stamps, which is now known as the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or SNAP. The Office of Management and Budget said the fee would be assessed when stores sign up and would be required renewal every five years. The Budget Office said the amount would depend on the size and type of retailer, but the President's budget estimates the fee would generate $2.4 billion in revenue over the next decade. Don't trust this man's math. I know. An OMB official described the fee as modest and reasonable, emphasizing that some large retailers redeem a billion dollars or more in food stamp benefits each year. Although a small number of stores may choose to leave the program rather than pay the fee, we do not expect that this will affect access to authorized stores, the official said. The proposal surprised the grocery industry, which is already fighting to block the controversial border adjustment tax on Capitol Hill. That measure would lower the cost of exports, but raise price of imports and has been widely opposed by chain retailers. Trump's food stamp fee, however, would fall squarely on supermarkets. Grocers opposed the flawed policy of imposing fees on food rate retailers in order to reduce the cost of federal's nutrition assistance benefits to the most needy in our society, said Leslie G. Saracen, president of the Food Marketing Institute, which represents the industry. Change hit congressional opposition. Beyond the new fee, the Trump administration's proposing $191 billion in cuts over the next decade to the food stamp program. 
The United States Budget Office said the reductions would come from tightening the work requirement to qualify for the benefit, but said details would be... So that's the thing is I just replied, put in my thing saying I'm poor again for food stamps, and I make $1,000 a month. Okay, it, my, my rent is more than what I make here at the station, but I work more than 40 hours a week. Now, it's not for lack of working. It's because the work that I choose is not fiscally viable in our world. And that's just a thing. And that's just and the thing is, there are people out here who make minimum wage, which it's not a livable minimum. Wage. I make less than minimum wage. So even at that and you ain't got no kids that have no kids. But the thing is, like. They don't want, but do they not want artists? Is that what we're going to, I mean. They don't know what artists are, sweetheart. They don't know. All they know is they worship an idol god and it's called money. I just don't, I mean, I'm supposed to be, this afternoon I'm supposed to work on my resume because there's this job at KNBR at the radio that does the Giants radio and some sports radio cool. but there's it's for commercial it's for scheduling commercials during their their radio broadcast yeah but I have to work up my resume but it would be Monday through Friday it would be like a real job and I, I just but I wouldn't want to do it unless it was at least 60 grand lucrative yeah especially with someone that you how many degrees do you have I, I know but that's the thing I'd rather I have three well I have more than three it depends what you if you consider well, the teacher my, credential my or not my point is this supposedly this is how the system was supposed to work if right. someone as smart and intelligent as yourself who has three three degrees should be able to <clears throat> you know be able to make 60 or more actually more sure. at someone at your level so I don't see why that would be a problem I don't see why it's but if it's a choice of mine to want to do this, see, I just think if I get a full-time job, I'm not going to be able to have as many A radio shows, and it's going to be really hard to. I, I'll have to really scale back from my involvement at this place. Right. But that's you're, you're trying that's to balance okay. out to see if it's going to be worth it. Now, right. if they, if I they, still haven't looked at what what the money is. I just the lady said about the job. I looked at the qualification. I'm like, well, I'm qualified for this, and she's like, oh, send me a resume. But I still don't. If it's like. Twenty dollars an hour. I'm gonna be like, why would I do that? It makes no sense. It would make no sense That's for me. That's insulting. Right. That's insulting if but, that would be the case. I, I don't but, know. But I mean, I, don't I think know. that's why a lot of people, you know, who do decide to get out of corporate America and do what they want, and they're willing to take a pay cut because the fact of the matter is, corporate America fucking sucks. Yeah. And it's soul sucking. Unless, I mean, sometimes it, it's good for some people. It's, it's good for not a lot. I don't know. I I prefer being in the hospitality because you get to meet people in corporate America and see how miserable they are. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and ask them questions like, are you happy? Th- this is interesting because this goes along with it. They did some testing. 13 Alabama counters, co- counties saw 85% drop in food stamp participation after work requirements restarted. And this is what they want. They want work requirements. 13 Alabama counties saw a dramatic drop in food stamp participation after a work requirement for able-bodied adults were restarted. 13 Alabama counties saw a dramatic drop, blah, 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 blah. Okay. Uh, what are these work? What are these work requirements? The counties: Green, Ale, Paris, Daly, Lowndes, Wilcox, Monroe, Cana, Canuga, something, Clark, Washington, Choctaw, Sumner, and Barber, had been exempt from a change that limited able-bodied adults without dependents to three months of supplemental nutrition assistance benefit program with a three-year time frame, and thus they were working or participating in an approved training program. 
See, that doesn't make doesn't make sense because I have two master's degrees. So you can't put me in a work program. It's like use my skills, use my abilities. Like that's what I'm doing here at Mutiny Radio. I'm using my skills and abilities. It's just that I'm not getting paid because a lucrative amount. Because it's yeah. it because I mean I guess if the only made way to make it work is if I completely fill the schedule. But it's based off of like. People wanting to do shows and training. It's just so here's, hard. Here's something else that you know that you've been in this field before. Teaching. Yeah. Teachers. Right. How about that? Well, because... I, at, some of them are at poverty levels as well Absolutely. Now. Well, I, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to go back to teaching because um, it's really hard and, and you don't make a lot of money. I mean, it really is really it takes, hard. It takes a lot of your time. And, and you... I mean, when I, dro- I dumped out of teaching, I was only making 36000 a year and that's with working on my working toward my master's in education I just had units toward it I never I never got it because I ended up getting my MMA, MA and MFA anyways um, in a different field but like did you ever have there aren't that many t- back and stuff um, I did I paid for my graduate school in cash I, I worked I never I didn't get any loans okay. so I don't owe any money because the means. average you know person who become that gets into the educational field ends up having to pay loans back so that 37G that they start or 40 grand that they start with they're not seeing a lot of that because they're paying their loans back. Right. And how are they supposed to basically, you know, participate in the financial world of buying homes, uh, contributing to the financial markets? They can't, not, not with that much money. Yeah, this is this is really scary stuff. Uh, it's very, it's just interesting of what's been happening with 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 D, DP and uh, DP forty five. I guess Donald or not DP D, DT D, Donald D, Trump DT. D, Fewer illegal immigrants getting food stamps. The mere election of Donald Trump has had a salutary salutary effect with regards to illegal immigration. Reportedly, for example, the number of people trying to enter the country illegally has dropped dramatically. The Associated Press hasn't expressed an opinion on that trend, to my knowledge, but it is concerned about a similar phenomenon. Fewer illegal immigrants are signing up for food stamps. A crackdown on illegal immigration under President Donald Trump has driven some poor people to take a drastic step, opt out of federal food assistance because they are fearful of deportation, activists and immigrants say. People who are not legal residents of the U.S. are not eligible to take part in what is formally known as the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. That is correct. But many poor families include a mix of non-legal residents and legal ones, such as children who have citizenship because they were born in the U.S. In those cases, it is often an adult who is not a legal resident who submits the application. So once again, the anchor baby is on the hook. Some now feel that it is too dangerous under a president who has made immigration enforcement a policy. Throughout the U.S., there are accounts of people resisting efforts of nonprofit organizations to sign them up for food stamps, letting benefits lapse, or withdrawing from the program because of a perceived risk. This is really sad. A 52-year-old woman interviewed in New York City, a Mexican in the country illegally, told the Associated Press she was motivated in January to drop a benefit that was supporting her teenage daughter, a U.S. citizen, purely because she was afraid of being in the food stamp system, which requires applicants to state their immigration status. I had been told it's okay to apply for food stamp, but for the moment, I don't want to take any risks, said the woman, who spoke on condition of anonymity because her immigration status was introduced to an AP through an organization that helps immigrants, the Mexican Coalition for the South Bronx. Note that this individual had been told 
it's cl- it is not clear by whom that it's okay to apply for food stamps. The AP, on the other hand, said the food stamp system requires applicants to state their immigration status. This is technically true, but high, highly mis- misleading. The applicant is the child who is eligible for SNAP benefits, not the illegal alien parent parent or the relative who fills out the form. The U.S. Department of Agriculture makes it very clear that an illegal immigrant can apply for food stamps on behalf of an eligible person who is technically the applicant without divulging anything about immigration status. To ensure that only those who are eligible for SNAP receive the benefits they are eligible to receive, state agencies must verify the immigration status of those individuals who are applying for SNAP benefits. State agencies are not required to verify the immigration status of anyone who is applying for SNAP on behalf of others in their household. For example, a non-citizen may choose to apply for his or her U.S. citizen children in the household. There is no circumstances, under no circumstances may a state agency, one, require any information about the citizenship or immigration status of anyone who is not applying for SNAP. Two, deny SNAP to applying household members because of a non-applicant household member who has not disclosed his or her citizenship or immigration status or social security number. Or three, try to establish or verify immigration status through any means other than the procedures outlined below. DHS has primary responsibility to determine the status of non-citizens. What is important? Eligible persons have an entitlement to food assistance and the Food and Nutrition Act requires that state agencies provide fair service to that applicant. Some applicants, typically eligible children and families where the adults are not eligible, cannot apply on their own. They depend on an adult household member to secure assistance. States must be able to structure an application process that enables these members to apply for children without divulging information of their own immigration status. Whoa. That's really scary that um, I didn't... What happens to a kid if their parent is illegal and they're legal and then their parent gets deported? What happens to that kid? That kid gets into the system. Really? Yeah. So they go into foster. they, They get in foster or if they do have a legal... They go back with them. No, they could stay because I don't I don't think they can go back with them because they're not a legal resident of where they come from since they were born here. Um, but so basically the child either ends up with a relative that is a U.S. citizen or it, the child falls into the system. Uh, that sucks. Yeah, so breaking up families, that's morality. That's, right, uh, right, back go, to the morality let's thing. Let's go back to the morality thing. Because family values means breaking up families. Right. And deporting them. Oh, and taking away their food. Right. That's See, the thing is, is that um, children I think we got our theme need, today. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm seeing what happens. I, what happens to legal children of illegal immigrants? Parents ask, what happens to my child if I'm deported? I mean, it's an important That's question. A real fucking question. I, I've never even thought about it. If you were born here legally... Um, Jesus Christ. Dude. The questions started. Oh, here we go. This is from the uh, Who Knows Better Than LA. Legalize, legalize LA. Uh, the question started pouring immediately. Am I at risk of being detained, though I haven't committed any offenses? What should I say to ICE if they ask me where I was born? Will massive raids happen in public spaces? As the Trump administration released its new immigration rules, immigrant rights groups have been grappling with an uptick in concerns. One of the most common, what happens to my child if I'm sent away? In the United States, there are roughly 5 million children under the age of 18 with at least one parent 
who's living in the country illegally. About 79% of those adolescents are U.S. citizens, according to the Migration Policy Institute. According to the Pew Research Center, 10% of the 11.1 million immigrants who are living in the country illegally live in Los Angeles and Orange Counties. It's interesting. The details of Trump's immigration crackdown remain blurry. He talked about mass deportations, but has also said he wants to focus on individuals who have criminal records. The latter was also the focus of the Obama administration's immigration policy. They're causing crime. When, when Mexico sends its people, people they're not sending their best. It's criminals. They're rapists. They're rapists. The lack of specific has fueled rumors and fears in immigrant communities. Trump's promised crackdown is one praise from supporters who say people who broke the law coming into the country should be sent back, no matter how long they've lived here. But others have strongly criticized the president's tough rhetoric, saying it's cruel to tear families apart. Yes. I can't expose them to the dangers. Guadalupe Galindo, who has lived in the United States illegally for 29 years, on the prospect of taking her children with her if she's deported to Mexico. Guadalupe Galindo, 46, has lived in the United States for 29 years. If she's sent back to Mexico, she would leave her 8- and 10-year-old girls in the care of her 24-year-old daughter. Though she says the distance would be painful, she won't fathom an alternative. I can't expose them to the dangers, she said about life in her native country. She has kept her two daughters, two younger girls in the dark, protecting them from worry. The weight of reality falls on her oldest daughter's shoulders. It's one thing being a sister, and it's another thing to take responsibility like a mother, Galindo said. Like taking them to school, like and like a mother, representing them in everything. For others, permanent separation isn't an option. Mario Castillo is a father of two, one five-year-old and one just shy of two. If deported to El Salvador, he and his wife plan to leave the children with someone in the United States who could send them over later, aware of what that might mean for their future. They'll be living a different life than the one they deserve here. They were born here, he said. Every case is different, and immigrant rights groups suggest that anyone fearing deportation make a plan and meet with a lawyer before the situation escalates. This is fucking serious. Groups such as the Coalition for Humane Immigration Rights of Los Angeles and the American Civil Liberties Union advise people who are detained by authorities to give only their name and date of birth, birth, request an attorney, hand over a rights card, which provides this information in both English and Spanish, and then remain silent. Individuals who are also advised to see a warrant before opening the door to law enforcement and to keep valuable documents such as birth certificates and passports in an accessible and safe location. Immigrants' rights organizations have been actively distributing and notarizing guardian slips for their children to help families prepare for such a scenario. Parents are instructed to write down the names of those who they trust to watch over their children. If deported or detained, their child would be the immediate responsibility of one of the guardians on the list. Wow. Um, for parents of disabled children, it's foreboding. One couple spoke anonymously through their lawyer, uh, and the father originally from Mexico and mother originally from Central America worry most about their middle child, a 10-year-old with learning disabilities and mental health issues. He's been shaking and crying. He doesn't want to sleep by himself anymore. He'll wake up and want to sleep with his parents. Oh, I mean... Just the psychological just damage. The, yeah. It's Maria Rosas, a 36-year-old mother of four boys, attended a meeting to figure out a plan. She has already told her children not to be afraid. If she and her husband are deported, they won't leave them behind. Whatever happens, we'll always be together. 
we asked for immigration, but that's, yeah, that's not necessarily true. So underneath this, if you want um, more information, you can fill it in um, about questions that you're asking specifically about, and they'll, they'll answer you. Uh, it's uh, so that's scary. Heart, that's heartbreaking. Absolutely. I, I mean, just, who takes I mean, care of your kids? Can I, can I say something too about this? You know, yeah. what's, what's really fucked up is a lot of people, uh, Latino community, if you notice a lot of them, it's, and I'm going to narrow it down on the, the Mexican communities because they're very Christian and Catholic uh, and yeah. they're very conservative when it comes to certain things such as abortion and they do have like a strong family values. What's sad is conservatives don't even see that ploy right. to even try to get them on their side. But since, you know, they're just colored people, you know, hey, let's just deport yeah, them. Just, exactly. You know, because we're, we're afraid of darkness. <laughs> That's it. Though these are dark days. This is crazy. She figured he'd soon he'd be done soon and they'd be able to start planning for her brother's 17th birthday dinner that night which she didn't expect that was by the day's end she'd become her two younger siblings sole guardian an hour after his meeting began ice agents came out and handed a green bag to sanchez it contained all of juan carlos formosa's garcia's legal documents and they told her that her father an undocumented migrant who was born in veracruz and had spent the past two decades in the united states was being detained Two hours after that, he called to tell her he was going to be deported. We had just been talking about what we were going to do for my brother's birthday, how this summer we were going to go to Harry Potter World at Universal Studios because that's what he loves. My father's not a criminal. He's not one of those people you hear about on the news like Mr. Trump said. He's not a rapist. He's not a drug dealer. And he's not a murderer. My father is an honest, working family man that loves everyone he meets. ICE reports that for Promosa Garcia was deported to Nogales, Sonora, Friday morning. This is last month. Uh, Last year, he was again ordered removed by an immigration judge, blah, 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 blah. But the story raises a question about what's likely to become more common under President 45's new harsher immigration policies. What happens to the U.S.-born kids of deported parents? For Promosa Garcia is a single father. That means his three kids, Yennefer, 23, Yessi, 17, and Carla, 14, are now on their own. All three are U.S. citizens. Yennefer is staying in her father's house to take care of the younger kids for now. They're going to keep going to school, and I'm going to work, she said at a news conference Friday. We're going to get through this. Uh, What's going to happen long term is uncertain. And uh, thank goodness they have a 24-year-old older sister. Uh, Because what else are they going to do? Yeah, if uh, just uh, like what do you what do you do if the kids are like toddlers or not of age? Right. Uh, family values, morality. Yeah, morality and family values. Ooh, look um, at us. Yeah. Hypocrites. It's really really sad because who is being helped by this forty five regime? And it's. It's what my dad always said when I was little. When I said, Daddy, what's the difference between a Democrat and a Republican? And he Uh, said, Republicans are people with money that want to keep their money. And Democrats are people without money that want to take take, take Republicans' money and give it to poor people. Yeah, Yeah. that's basically what it is. Do you think he still feels that way? Absolutely. I think that he, I mean, listen, my dad lives in Arizona. I think he loves all the deportation. I think he thinks they came over illegally, get them out, 
He I think like he Mexican. believes in that. Does he know? Since now he's in Arizona, he, he moved closer to Mexico. Yeah, he moved closer. <laughs> I love Mexico. But, <laughs> but I, I know that they don't approve of me being on food stamps. I know that. Oh, no, you're an embarrassment. No, I'm a, it's terrible. I am. I'm embarrassing. Well, that's it. Uh, I'm a disappointment to my parents and uh, most people. That's that's uh, there we go. There's the Alticast for the day. Yay. Yay! We're all a bunch of slaves. We're all we're all <laughs> we're all slaves. Now go cry. Slaves to the system. Uh, I am I am super sad though that. Um, well, actually, I'll 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 tell you. Actually, I'm I'm super happy because coming up next is some call me Tim and we have special guest Chris Knatzer in the house and that's going to be amazing. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Thank you, Latoya, the Sheriff of Truth. I hope your dog's okay. I hope She's it never dies. She's pants, literally. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, your poor puppy. And uh, this has been, um, we, we, it's been a good day. I was going to read the thing that Sabine wrote the other day, but um, uh, we'll save it for later. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us on the AltaCast. We'll see you again next week. Gone without a chancellor who is willing to take bold leaps of faith and logic to create new possibilities for our great, big, fat nation. As your chancellor, I will balance the budget on the head of a pin, give entertaining speeches, have scandalous affairs, write strongly worded letters to unpopular foreign leaders, look good on camera, end all hunger, crime, abuse, war, disease, disasters, sadness, depression, oppression, repression, suppression, transgression, obsession, expression, impression, regression, and digression by signing pieces of paper that express my disapproval of such things. And invest in an American flag pin to be worn prominently on my stylish jackets. It's time to work together to take the country back from us and return it to ourselves. It's time to turn this country around and drive it into opposing traffic. It's time to take a chance on the Chancellor. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk, MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-face McRat. <laughs> this is Tuchel Matos with Mutiny Radio. Big up to the number one station, the ruling nation. Give it to me every time. Ah! What's with the limp? I got hit by a car on my bike. This person just ran a red light. How are you gonna work? You wait tables. I don't know. I'm terrified. I count on my tips and these hospital bills are confusing. The insurance adjusters just treat me like I'm a piece of paperwork. Man, you should go to johnstrausslaw.com. John Strauss is a great personal injury attorney. 
When I got hurt, he handled everything for me. He was on my side. And best of all, I didn't have to pay out of pocket. He got paid when I did. That's great because I cannot afford to pay out of pocket. Yeah, don't let them confuse you and trick you. They treat you like you're a business. And it's not business, it's personal. Injury. JohnStraussLaw.com The Night Space brings you high time story time every Wednesday night from 10 to midnight on Mutiny Radio. Listen to San Francisco's finest underground comedians read crazy stories written by me, Arden, on The Night Space. The Night Space featuring high time story time every Wednesday night from 10 to midnight on Mutiny Radio. High Time Story Time Volume 1 now available on Amazon.com for Kindle and electronic download. Sunday, June 11th at Cobb's Comedy Club, 7.30 p.m. Tickets are $16 for the All-State Heavyweight Comedy Showdown! Hosted by Terry Dorsey, featuring some of the best comedians all over California. From San Francisco, Pam Benjamin. From Saratoga, Joey Avery. And all the way out of San Diego, Mike DeVore. Other comedians as well for only $16 at Cobb's Comedy Club, 915 Columbus Avenue. Go get your tickets for June 11th now. Tell me what you think about your situation. Complication, aggravation. Is it getting to you? Then tune in live every Sunday from 12 to 2 p.m. to the edge of insanity with myself, Paul Brumbaugh. Kit Marie. Brandon Ray. And Mistress Christine. All on Mutiny Radio. That's right, PCRcollective.org. We'll see you there. Do you need an awesome and underground space for an event? Look no further than MutinyRadio.fm. Our 30-seat flexible space can accommodate your acoustic band, birthday party, comedy show, dance party, karaoke super fun, theater event, fundraiser. If you think it, we can do it. You run the door in promotion, we run the sound, space, and podcast. Rentals available Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10 at Mutiny Radio FM's performance space at 2781 21st Street in the Deep Mission at 21st in Florida. Contact Pam at pamsadai at hotmail.com for more options and booking dates. Incredible socialist prices so you can be creative in a free speech space without breaking the bank. That's Mutiny Radio Rentals every Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10. Book your event now. to hurt me, but boy, how it burns me whenever she touched me. And oh, I feel so lucky. Good evening there, my friends here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. 
And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and Beyond's underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's deep in the Mission District, where you can laugh off your tushy for me five dollars every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because five dollars, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere five dollars is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere. Like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So then all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse. Or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? It's a cash cock, honey. <laughs> Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead peasants? Oh, shit. From time to time, I've given it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things to you before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dag nabbit thing called? It's joke workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! Top three cooking tips. One, if you're cutting an onion, remember to crush it.